3: I'm I, I hate to compare, I'm not really a comparison person. I'm not going to. I mean, to give this team more credit, I mean we, we do have high schoolers. Well they're not high schoolers anymore, but we did have high schoolers to start the season, so a little bit more of an excuse to start slow compared to last year's team where of older guys, we had no business starting that slow, but we got it together. But, you know, every 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 year is different. Every season is different. Every team is different. Um, but we're playing our best basketball right now, but it's, we could definitely play better.
4: That is the voice of Blake Henson. Wyatt took Pitt a little bit to get going here in the 23-24 season. But in the last month, they really have winners of their last four and winners of six of seven games they host Louisville tomorrow night at 6 30 at the Pete right now we go to the fan hotline presented by Sullivan Super Service Pittsburgh's trusted plumbing and HVAC provider for over 50 years that is where we find our guy Noah Hiles Pit insider from the Post Gazette Noah given the the time and the circumstance of the season uh, was the Virginia win bigger than the Duke win
0: um, no, I, it, it was like kind of, it's kind of like that next level. It might've been a harder win because you're, you know, going off of what you've already achieved and you have to maintain it. And that's as hard as the place as any to win right now, but that Duke win saved the season. If they don't win that game, Donnie, I mean, I, I don't know where this team is. And, you know, Capo mentioned that and the players have talked about this how before that game, or after that win, excuse me, they said in the locker room, you know, this could be a turning point in the year. And they had they had to go out and do it, though. And they responded by, you know, winning five of their next six after that victory, including this Virginia win. The Virginia win's huge. The Virginia win gets them on the bubble like they are now. But that Duke win doesn't happen. None of this is possible, I think. Because even if, let's just flop that Duke win with the Miami loss let's say they lose in Durham but win in Miami this team's probably still not on the bubble Mm -hmm. because even though it's another quad one win that you're replacing the Duke win was it was a statement it was a top 10 win on the road and not many teams have those in the country and for that to be the spark it's just a recognizable thing it's what the committee will recognize um that's the best win of the year and it's the best like I said I think I told you or Kale or someone on this station, it's the best road win of J- Jeff Capel's time here today.
4: I think it was me because you and I talked yeah. uh, the morning after that game, yeah, right. the, the the Saturday night where they beat Duke uh, th- that next morning, uh, we had a chat. So, And we, we kind of had the discussion then, hey, is this a win that could get the Panthers going? And I think it's pretty clear something happened there, Noah.
0: Yeah, and I, I think – you can go back a little further there, Donnie, as to what really started it all. Um, this team changed on, ironically enough, the date, January 6th, when they played Louisville the first time. That's the first game that Jaden or Jalen Lowe started. And while he wasn't what he was, or is now, I should say, in that first start, getting him in the starting lineup was the first piece to this puzzle being formed. Because this team really never had a true point guard. Carrington has the stats of a point guard, but Carrington is a two guard. He defends better at the two, and his numbers are good when he has to do a little bit less with the ball as far as getting others involved. So that was the first step. The second step was getting Ishmael Leggett healthy because that's why Jalen Lowe got in the starting line to begin with. He was injured in the Syracuse game a couple games prior, and it took him a couple games to get back to full health. But once Leggett was back to full health, and once Lowe really settled into that point guard role, Pitt kind of took off, and that's where the Duke game marked that. But, yes, there was something going there, Uh, and with a true point guard, Blake Hinson has to do less. With a true point guard, Bob Carrington has to do a little bit less. Both of those guys can take a little bit more comfortable shots and don't have to force. And with a true point guard, Pitt can be a lot more versatile on the offensive end because Lowe's playing well. And Leggett's playing great as the sixth man. I would argue, and this is no disrespect to my, Nike Sabande, Leggett has been a better sixth man off the bench than Nike Sabande last year. And that guy won sixth man of the year. So those big changes all started around the beginning of January. It took some time because of injuries and youth. But since January 20th, when this team beat Duke and Durham, it has been a different group, and it's hard to dispute that.
4: Yeah, how has the, the young guard play really turned the tide on this season? Because all all three of those main guards that we see all playing very, very well, all complementing the offense very well.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, like I explained, I mean, it all starts with Lowe, in my opinion. Him being a guy who can – I think a problem that Pitt had in December – is it wasn't getting to the rim enough. I'll even go back to a game that it won, the West Virginia game, where Blake Henson set a school record for most three-pointers. I think they had, I think it was like 60 or 70% of their shots from the field for the first 25, 30 minutes of that game were three-pointers. They just weren't getting into the paint. And while, sure, it's, it's, it's fun to watch while it's working, that's not sustainable in the ACC you got to be able to get to the rim and create something. Otherwise, you're just going down there and chucking up threes like it's backyard basketball, and that's not going to work. So being able to have a healthy legate and a competent, more than competent, a proficient uh, freshman point guard who needed some time to develop but found his confidence around late December, early January, and having those two guys be able to get to the rim it keeps the defense honest. It opens things up for Henson to get better looks, where he doesn't necessarily. I mean, he's gonna shoot from the logo. He's Blake Henson, but like he doesn't have to if he doesn't need to. Um, and it just adds another dimension to the offense. And his backcourt defense with Low and with Leggett uh, has, I would say, in, in Carrington, he's probably the best defender of the three. Creates so much for them on the offensive end as well. So yeah, it's, I mean, Henson, don't get me wrong, is the star of this team. He is the leader. He is the alpha. But it's guard play, like we saw last year, that is going to bring this team to the tournament if it does make it. This is a guard-led team once again.
4: Well, that, that's who I want to ask about next. You mentioned how it's some weight off the shoulders of Blake Henson, but can those guards carry this team to a big win if Henson has an off night because you look at some of the big wins that Pitt has this year, n- most notably the, the two uh, against Duke and Virginia and Blake Hinson has been lights out in majority of both of those games against Duke. He was perfect. So if he has an off night in a big game, can the guards carry them to a victory?
0: Um, I think it depends on the opponent. If you're playing a team like Virginia where you know, buckets don't come easily in the paint? Probably not. But, I mean, how many teams can you say that in college basketball, where if your best player has a bad night, you're not going to be able to beat a really good team? I mean, the teams that you could typically say that about, they're not sitting on the bubble right now with a month to go until Selection Sunday. Pitt's playing like, like it's designed to be playing. It's designed to have Blake Hansen be its best player, and it's designed to have the guards be complementary pieces. It's designed to have the front court, which is its clear weakness, do just enough to get by, be it rebounding, shot blocking, running the floor and getting a quick two here and there. This is how this team was put together from Capel from the start. And Granted, there were supposed to be a couple more pieces around that aren't here anymore, uh, but overall, this was his vision. And like I said before, it looks pretty similar to last year. I mean, the pieces are a little different. There's not a, there's not exactly a Jamarius Burton where you have, but I mean, Bob Carrington's kind of that. He's just not there maturity wise. There's not a Greg Elliott where it's like uh, another three point shooting guard, but I'd argue they have something different. Uh, And, and I mean, Cummings and and Lowe are very similar. It's, It's really, like I said, it's, Coming into its own last year, now the difference, like you started off this question with, that team won big games without Henson having a big role. And we've yet to see that this year. But there are opportunities, you know, Wake Forest and Clemson, huge road games coming up in the next 10 days. We're going to see. And if I mean, uh, he's got to have a bad game sometime in a big, big situation, right? He's not. I mean, he looks like Superman right now, but I can assure you, he is human. And we're going to see, that might be the final test this team needs to pass for me to truly, and not just me, the committee, to truly feel like, all right, yeah, they're going dancing.
4: And as we do look at the games that Pitt has left, uh, seven games left on the schedule this season, which games of those carry the most weight for you and you think that uh, carry the most weight for the committee?
0: Oh, I mean, it's, it's no doubt. It's, it's the, at the two road games at Wake Forest and at Clemson. Wake Forest right now is the last team out, I believe, in the Lenardi's update. So if Pitt beats them uh, next week, I believe it's on Tuesday, you're looking at a team that's (laughs) going to be less than four spots away from making the tournament. They hop Miami with this win over Virginia. They're going to keep their pace. I mean, they're in the next four out right now. You figure they win tomorrow over Louisville, and if they lose, then all of this is meaningless because they're not making the tournament anyway. Uh, But if they beat Louisville tomorrow, they're probably still a next four out, but they're moving up a little bit more. But then that battle against Wake, a sweep against Wake, uh, a quad one win this late in the year, that puts Pitt in, you know, just a couple of spots out where it just has to keep winning. The Clemson game is its toughest game on the schedule because that's a tournament team right now. That's a lock. So if they win both of those, Donnie, you're looking at a team that's probably heading to D.C. with little to worry about. Granted, it still has to take care of business. It can't lose games that it has a big chance to win, such as your Boston Colleges, your Florida States, your, you know, your Louisvilles. But if it can take care of business in those three games and win those two on the road, it's going to be smooth sailing. Now, that's easier said than done, but those are by far the biggest two.
4: And you, you think a loss tomorrow and it's basically all over? There's no rebounding from it?
0: Yeah. I mean, you look at this time last year, Clemson lost to Louisville. And Clemson didn't make the tournament. When you're on the bubble and you lose to a, a quad four team on your home court, there's, there's no coming back from it, really. Especially with what Pitt has ahead of itself. It's got a couple of nice games on its regular season schedule remaining. A couple of quad one games, a couple of quad two games but they don't really have a big redemption chance there. There's not a Duke or a North Carolina or even a Virginia waiting on their regular season schedule. And and sure, you might run into them in D.C. at the ACC tournament, but you don't want to head to D.C. knowing that, hey, we got to win multiple games just to get a chance to face Duke or North Carolina or Virginia and, and, and add on to our resume. Because we lost to Louisville at home after winning six or seven, so yes, this is—I mean, every game. This is a team that probably can't afford to lose more than one or two uh, for the rest of the regular season if it wants to remain on the bubble. But it it cannot lose this one. This this would be this would be a season-shattering loss.
4: Noah Hiles, pit insider from the Post Gazette, our guest here on ninety-three seven The Fan, Uh, and once they do get to the ACC tournament, where do you think they need to be uh, to, I I don't want to say comfortable, but at least be in a spot where they can still make it into the big dance. They can still get that call.
0: 22 wins, they're feeling good. Uh, 21, you're – I think they went into the ACC tournament. I'm sorry I made that noise on your airwaves. That was wild. Uh, But, yeah, 21, that would be what? They would have to finish 5 and. Five and two in the regular season, depending on who those losses come against. If they go five and two and at least win one of the two games that I mentioned, the Wake Forest or Clemson, they're probably sitting on that bubble and they need to win at least once and they need to probably win twice to feel very good about their chances in DC. Um, but if they go six and one, Donnie, and that one loss is to any team not named Louisville, they should be fine. The thing that they'll be playing for in date or in uh DC is to not go back to Dayton, which I wouldn't be opposed to. Dayton was a great time last year. Uh, so yeah, that that's what I think. I think six and one with with that, so twenty two wins on the year, they're they're safe. It's again, it's it's playing to avoid Dayton, not playing to get in. Uh Now, crazy things can happen, obviously. You know, I think Pitt got really lucky last year in the sense where not a lot of teams on the bubble did particularly well in their conference tournaments. So if you're Pitt, you want that 20-second win and also to do well in D.C. in case, you know, a Seton Hall goes and wins the Mm -hmm. Big East tournament or something like that. Or, you know, a Villanova, you know, a bid stealer. There weren't any bid stealers last year. That probably won't happen two years in a row. So I think 22 wins is the safe mark where you're putting yourself as a seed that's going to get a very favorable matchup in the opening round to get that 23rd win. And then if you can't take care of business in the quarterfinals, you're sitting there on Selection Sunday with 23 wins and a very, very, very good-looking trend to finish your season.
4: And how do you think that Pitt stacks up with the team's in that next four out category there with them. You got Saint John's Villanova, Colorado.
0: I, I mean I still don't understand what Saint John's what the appeal is. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure
4: with Saint John's their only uh their only big thing on the resume is that they're coached by Rick Petino.
0: Yeah, you know I don't know what else they have. Of, they're barely over five
4: hundred and they do not have a single impressive victory.
0: No, that's the thing. They played a lot of big games. And they played a, they've had a lot of close losses, but, yeah, I, I don't get it. That's the one. Colorado is a decent team. And who would you say the other was Villanova? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Villanova at the beginning of the year beat North Carolina. And, it's, you know, it's a Big East program. It's, it's got a probably tougher regular season schedule as far as conference play uh, than, than Pitt, what it had to deal with in the ACC, although I think both of those leagues have about four teams in right now. Um, I think there's more Big East teams probably on the bubble than the ACC. But like I said, you know, I'm not a guy who normally cries poor ACC. I do think it's not the league that it once was. But (laughs) when you look at St. John's, that's where I'm kind of like, okay, you know, I'd rather see a Providence there. I'd rather see a Wake Forest there. I'd rather see a, you know, there, there are a lot of different teams that probably deserve to be in that spot. But the other two, yeah, I think that that's, That's where they're at right now in that ballpark. But what I will say out of that group that you just named, and even a couple teams ahead of them, Pitt's playing the best basketball right now. Pitt's playing the best. Pitt's the hottest team in the ACC, and you could argue it's the hottest team on the bubble. Because all these other teams, all these other names that you see, be it you know the last four buys, the last four in, the last first four out, or the next four out, all those teams, they've been in this same spot for weeks, if not months, Pitt just got here. So they had to do a lot to get to that spot. It's the first time they've really been in this spot all season. So they're the hottest of the group right now. That's the only thing that's really differentiating them.
4: Uh, percentage chance, Noah. If you had to guess right now, about, a what, a month out or so uh, from yeah. the selection Sunday, do the Pitt Panthers get their names called for the second
0: year in a row? I'll give it a 60% chance. Um there's there's still a lot that can go wrong, and while this run is exciting, I want to remind people, I mean, Pitt hit its stride in January last year, Donnie, when it was beating Virginia, when it was beating Miami, uh, but it cooled down, and you look at what it did in late February and early March. It lost on the road in Blacksburg. It lost on the road in South Bend, Indiana, to a terrible Notre Dame team. It couldn't get the job done against Miami, and After barely beating Georgia Tech in the first round of the ACC tournament, it got its doors blown off by Duke. And that loss almost kept it out of the tournament. So while it's playing great now, you got to sustain it. And seven games is a long time. You're basically asking this team to replicate what it just achieved. And it took a lot for this group to do what it just did. So it can be done. I like to say, you know, this is a football, you're a football guy, this is a football tournament. Pitt controls its own destiny in a way. It doesn't need to, Pitt shouldn't be, I mean, you can, but you don't need to be rooting against a Seton Hall or a St. John's or a Villanova or a Colorado or those other bubble teams to lose. Because if Pitt takes care of business, Pitt will be fine. And that's all you can ask for. It's just going out and doing it. It's college basketball. Anything can happen in any day. This team, this team that's beat Duke, This team that's beat Virginia on the road, it's also a team that lost to Syracuse twice. It's also a team that lost to Miami a couple of weeks ago. So, And and while you could argue that this team's gotten better since then, it's not going to have its best night every night. Blake Hinson's not going to shoot amazing from three every night. Freshman guards are going to make freshman mistakes, even if they've been playing well. So there's going to be a regression. It's how well they can handle that regression. That's why I give it about a 60% chance.
4: Pitt Panthers insider Noah Hiles from the Post-Gazette. Noah, thanks for taking the time, buddy.
0: Absolutely, Mr. Football.
4: There you go. 60% chance from Noah that the Panthers get the call to the big dance. Says they are the hottest team on the bubble right now. It just comes down to sustaining it, and they control their own destiny. Fan text line. Hit us up on there, 412-928-9370. You can also give us a ring if you want to join the conversation, 412-928-9370. The text line brought to you by Edgar Snyder and Associates, a personal injury law firm where they always say there's never a fee unless we get money for you. Coming up next, something that I wouldn't say I would never, I never thought I would talk about it. Uh, but certainly a sport that is outside of my realm. Uh, had a big tournament this past weekend that stirred up some conversation. I want to get into that next. Uh, Donnie Football with you here on Sports Radio 93.7, The Fan. ECW theme there for you, and per my guy Charlie Borges, also what was used for the invasion angle. I don't remember that. I've watched some of the old pay-per-views from around that time. So they just took the ECW theme and used that? From what I gather, yes. I
3: remember it more fondly than other people do, because a lot of people always said the 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 invasion wasn't as good because Goldberg wasn't involved, Sting wasn't there,
4: The NWO NWO. wasn't there, but I I thought it was fine. Yeah, I mean, they kind of had their hands tied because, like, the amount of money that Ted Turner was paying those guys to pretty much just sit on the couch. So, yeah, like, things could have been done differently. Maybe they could have bought some of those guys out, but nonetheless. Uh, Charlie, you noted that there might be some Pirates news coming down the pike, and we see this on Instagram from uh, right-handed pitcher Domingo Herman, who last season threw a perfect game with the New York Yankees. Uh, He posted on his Instagram story with a yellow background, or gold background, however you want to look at it, uh, and black lettering, or black uh, banner to the white lettering, 55 is back. So maybe the Pirates have signed another starting pitcher. Uh, Herman in 2019, incredibly good. Uh, well, wins and loss-wise, the ERA was still over four in the AL East. Then again, it, it is the AL East. But yeah, an 18 win and four loss record. I know that we're kind of out of the age where wins and losses are a big deal. Uh, last year with the Yankees, his age 30 season, uh, 20 games, 19 starts, 5-7, and seven, 4.56 ERA. He struck out 114 batters in just over 108 innings. He also, on June 28th last year, threw a perfect game for the Yankees. So we'll see if there's any news that comes of that As the show goes on tonight, Donnie, football with you until 1035. Uh, Something I wanted to get into was the sport of golf and a tournament that happened last weekend. uh, Nick Taylor defeating Charlie Hoffman in a playoff. He won at the Waste Management Open at 21 under par. Scotty Scheffler was three off the pace and a chance to 3 Pete in that tournament. But I heard discussion all week long, and you can chime into this as well at 412-928-9370, because I want to know where some people come down on this. Was this good or bad for the sport of golf? And I I heard a discussion that was had on Monday with Joe Starkey and Bob Pompiani. I think it's great for golf, to be quite honest with you. Did fans get a little carried away? Absolutely. Do they need to tone it down a hair? Yeah, they probably could. They probably should. But does it make viewing the sport more enjoyable? Does it make being at the event more enjoyable? I say yes. Because I would say... I'm a type of fan that golf wants to target. A casual fan, not really in love with the game, but hey, if we can hook this guy, he's in. Charlie, I don't know if you play golf and if you do, how often you play. I've played one round of golf in my whole life. I'm not into it really as a player at all. It also hurts that I'm a left-handed shot, so not many people have lefty clubs available, and I'm certainly not going to buy a pair when I can barely hit the thing. The only times I have ever golfed a
3: full round of 18, like my buddy and I will go and do a nine hole, but the only times that we've ever gone to a full 18 was my fraternity's golf outing, and I'm normally on the same level as all the fans were at the Waste Management Open. (laughs) So to answer your question, no, I do not golf. But when I do, I have
4: fun. Yeah, I mean, so I don't play. Charlie doesn't play. I watch the big tournaments. I watched last weekend. I checked in on that last weekend. And you you have your your majors that are always going to get big numbers and big viewers. But what I what I enjoy a lot too is the Ryder Cup. And the waste management open because I love seeing the crowd that way for that game. I'm not caught up on the whole, all the gentleman's game stuff. I want to see people get rowdy. I want it to look like Happy Gilmore. People have cowbells in the crowd. They have gazoos or whatever they are. They're blowing horns. They're hitting a beach ball around. They're pissing off Shooter McGavin. I want to see that. Maybe not quite to that degree. That was a movie after all, but I loved in the Ryder Cup. The fans giving it to some of the golfers. I loved that interaction last week, too and the golfers are getting a little bit pissed off. Okay, be pissed off. The sport needs more characters, more personalities. I think the game's in a good spot right now. There are a lot of good young golfers out there. It's not all having to be carried by Tiger Woods pretty much every single week, and he backed out of his tournament in the second round earlier today with a stomach bug or an illness or something. But I want to see people making some noise. I want to see a raucous crowd at golf events. Every other athlete in pretty much every other sport has to be able to focus with thousands of fans making as much noise as humanly possible. Why can't golfers deal with a little bit? So these guys, they can act like Shooter McGavin if they want. It creates more heels, more bad guys in the sport. And then maybe you have some guys that play into it. They want the noise. They like the noise. I think it's cool for the game of golf. And it gets me, as a casual viewer more inclined to watch it because it's not just guys relaxing on a nice Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon, walking calmly down the course. It's a rowdy crowd. It has people into it. I think it's an awesome atmosphere. Again, me not being a lover of golf, obviously the first pick that anybody's going to make is the Masters of which golf event to ever attend. But if I ever had the chance to go to the Waste Management Open, I'm there. That's how much fun it looks for fans. 412-928-9370 if you want to join the conversation. We'll go to Scott in the car. What's up, Scott? You're on the fan. Hey,
2: Donnie, big fan of yours, buddy. I listen to you every day for the last five years on the fan.
4: <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that.
2: Uh, I I was just letting your producer know that I have a set of left-handed Arnie Palmer's that I'll leave at the station. You can use any time.
4: Oh, man, that's a hell of an offer. Are you sure about that?
2: Absolutely, buddy. Absolutely.
4: Oh, man. I, I If we can make this happen, Scott, I... Would really appreciate it because, yeah, I mean, I'm always in a tough spot. I have one buddy who is a lefty, and sometimes I'll occasionally use like a couple of his old clubs. But I don't like to be that guy either, who's like, "Hey, man, let me use your clubs because they're not hey, mine." Man. And what happens if I break one of them? I know they're expensive.
2: Oh well, oh well, buddy, you can use mine
4: anytime. Scott, I'm gonna. I have
2: three sets. Uh,
4: Scott, I'm gonna. I'm gonna put you back on hold and. Charlie can get your actual number down and I, I will hit you up about this. So I'm going to put you back on hold. I appreciate the call. And Charlie, if you just get his info for me, I'm going to hit up Scott about that because that that is a huge move. And one that I appreciate from an avid listener. 412-928-9370. We have Oaks in the car. What's up Oaks?
2: hey donnie how you doing man big fan just like the last guy thank you um so uh first of all about clubs um i don't know if you're familiar with a program called the first tee um but we get a lot of donations every year of uh old sets of clubs or whatever and at shenley uh they have a room full of like hundreds and hundreds of clubs and they're just for people to use and get into the game. So you can always take that avenue, too. I respect the last listener offering his um, take. But the what I was trying to talk about was the waste management open and how I think I agree with you that they could have toned down a little bit, but the atmosphere is absolutely electric. And I think the main battle that people face is – in the game of golf and now that it's grown through COVID is there's a bunch of people that are in love with the origins of the game. And I'm, you know, not a historian of the game, but when you think about the greats and where the game came from? It was always, like you said, a gentleman's game. It was always guys in knickers and ties and suits. And um, if you think through the history of, you know, how classic Arnold Palmer was, Western PA guy, or, or Jack Nicklaus, or, or Tom Watson or Ben Hogan, and then you look at where it is now, I think that they're the main – they just don't like what's happening because they were in love with that mystique. And I I just want to wager that, like, the glory days of professional golf, when people started to get rowdy was – you know, when I grew up, when Tiger Woods was just absolutely – like, just winning every week and – golf courses were going nuts and they talk about it at Augusta at the Masters, like you mentioned. And when you could just hear that it was him making a birdie putt, they talk about tiger roars. And while I think that like what Liv is doing and and maybe what waste, what the waste management is doing, and maybe it got a little out of hand, I absolutely think it's so cool. Like you compared it to football and basketball and, and, and how do you have to deal with rowdy fans? And I just think that just adds such a cool part to the game when you when you watch, like, the Ryder Cup, and it, it just everybody's into it. I, I just totally agree with what you're saying, and they're just fighting that generation of players that, that just likes it to be, like, a more proper thing. So, you know, my hope is, ever, as time goes on, that it becomes more accessible people and you know having fun is just more encouraged and, th- and that's just my take
4: yeah man that's what i'm saying and i appreciate the call uh, and i appreciate the kind words uh up against it here a little bit so i i wanted to let you get your point out there oaks but yeah i mean i i think it makes for a great atmosphere a very fun atmosphere and a festive one as well fan twitter brought to you by south hills kia in peters township visit them at southhillskia.net. coming up Something else started this week, and I'm going to also ask for help on that front because it is there's at least part of this season that I really enjoy. It's Donnie Football with you here on Sports Radio 93.7, The Fan. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from
1: big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.
4: This is a great one, Charlie. Not many better athletes in the history of pro wrestling than Mr. Perfect. I thought about making
3: it as kids and trying to... Curtis Axel. Yep.
4: Yeah, this theme is great. I mean, he he was legit, like, one of the best athletes the company's ever had. I guess a lot of the uh, pro wrestlers of the... 90s era have kind of gone on record to say that. Like a lot of the uh, vignettes they shot with him doing all the the different uh, sports stunts, he pulled those off in very few takes. Some of them even just took one. He was a baller. Hell of a performer too. Uh, Unfortunately, he was... He was taken uh, far too soon, I think about 20 years ago now, maybe even longer. I think like 2003. I want to say you might have to double check on that, but I think it's like March or April of 2003 that uh, Mr. Perfect passed on. February 10th,
3: 2003. So we just just 21 years.
4: Oh, man. Man, that's a long time ago. 44 years old. Uh, something that we had on Wednesday, that was Ash Wednesday. It was also Valentine's Day. So I spent my Ash Wednesday by, by eating as much meat as humanly possible. Uh, I talked about it last night. I went to Texas Day Brazil for a little Valentine's Day dinner. Uh, Charlie, do you celebrate the the Lenten season in the church? I used to. Not anymore. Okay, so we're kind of in the same boat here. I was raised in a Catholic household. I had to go to church every single Sunday. During football season, I would sit there and daydream a lot about who the Steelers were playing that day and how big of a game it was. I was also that kid that wore Steeler jerseys into church. So you could tell where my mind was at. We would go to a 10 o'clock mass
3: on Sundays during football season, not only to – be able to watch the football games later. Ten o'clock mass is when they brought in Dunkin' Donuts, so I got oh. I got I got excited because they had they had a, a whole spread of Dunkin' Donuts at ten o'clock
4: mass, noon or eight a.m. Boring noon. Oh man, that's you're running a big time risk of a noon mass during a football season, brother. I'm I'm not on board with that. I mean i I went to a church right across the street from my childhood home. We would walk to it. mass, if it went a second over one hour, my dad would pull the dad move, he'd look at his watch, and he'd make a joke about how we were about to miss kickoff. That's how serious it got at times, but it never really went much further past that hour except for the big holidays, the Creaster holidays on the schedule. But it is Lent. And I'm going to put it out there to people. 412-928-9370. I'll answer your calls throughout the night on that. Where to get the best... Where to go for the best fish fry. Where to get the best fish sandwich at during Lent. I have a quick question. I've been
3: seeing the term fish fry. Is that a PA thing? Because I've never heard of fish fry during Lent.
4: So my brother-in-law brought that up to me earlier. Not that he didn't know what it was, but he and my sister live around D.C., and they said nobody ever talks about it. So maybe it is. I did not know that. I know some of the vernacular that we have around here is just for the area. But I, I was unaware that fish fry was just a big thing in Pennsylvania and not anywhere else. I know you're a Jersey guy. I I
3: grew up literally a block from the ocean, and I've never heard the term fish fry. I've heard of fried fish sandwiches, but yeah. I've never heard the term fish fry specifically. Well, I mean, you, you,
4: you went to school in Pennsylvania. You went to Westminster. Yes. I mean, I don't know what they had in Amish country, but I mean, you go to your local church during Lent, fish fry, fantastic. So... I'm going to put a tweet out there as well. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, hit us up on the hotline, 412-928-9370. I'm looking for the best places to go for a fish sandwich during this Lent season. I'll answer the calls throughout the night, 412-928-9370. But coming up, get back into hockey for a little bit. Rob Rossi from The Athletic joining us in just a few minutes here on 93.7 The Fan. But first, fan weather brought to you by Sun Chevy. Check out special financing for qualified buyers on new Silverado 1,500 trucks. Tonight, low of 29 and some snow. It's Donnie Football with you here on Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan.